I mean, Andrew and I are communicating better than we ever have. Like when I say our marriage is better than it's ever been, I'm dead serious because I think for the first time we're inadvertently being forced to communicate about everything and having to be transparent about everything, which is scary as hell, but it's also very, I, I think it was necessary. I think we needed that. Oh, absolutely. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 258. Take two. (laughs) We're Finn and Emma, and today we have an interview with Taylor and Andrew. They've been together for quite a long time. However, they just recently opened up their relationship a few months ago. Yeah, this is an amazing conversation, and we have a lot of gratitude for both of these two for coming on and sharing sharing so vulnerably. Yeah, they, Mm -hmm. they talk about how their relationship is in the best place it's ever been, their communication is the best it's ever been, and really... It all kind of points back to them really coming together and being radically honest with each other over some really, really hard things. And I mean, it's mismatched libidos, it's kids, it's just so much in life that I think is very relatable to so many people. And we're just really grateful for them to come on and share with us. So thank you both. Yes, thank you so much. And for anyone who's a premium subscriber, we're going to jump right into the interview now. And for those of you who aren't, wow, (laughs) you still have time. No, you don't. Here we go. Ooh, you're going to stay tuned for a few announcements. <laughs> oh, big announcements. Exciting ones. You're probably glad you're not a premium subscriber today. First up, if you don't know what a premium subscriber is, you can join for as little as $2 a year, but for, pay for whatever you would like. It's a great way to support the show, and you get to skip all of these intros at the beginning. But don't worry. You'll still get the community quick community announcements at the end. There you go. Thank you in advance. You just left and signed up and now you're back because you wanted to hear this huge announcement, which is drum roll, Emma. We've got to work on the drum rolls. I wasn't prepared. (laughs) I know. I know. It's caught off guard. We have moved away from Patreon. However, the community is completely unchanged. All of the same people have migrated over and we're super, super excited about this. So we started this process a few weeks ago, actually a few months ago, but (laughs) it took a little bit of time and we're super excited. So the community still exists, but we're on a new platform and that platform is called Mighty Networks. And it is a platform designed for communities just like ours. And it is a much, much better container and framework to hold what we're building and we sort of just outgrew patreon yeah we're super excited about this change you know it's a little bit of a pain for everyone but it's also like super exciting we feel like this is going to be the best thing for us and our community it's all of you for all of you moving forward and when she says it's a bit of a pain it actually won't be a pain for anybody who is new it's actually easier For everybody who is new. So there is a link on our website on the homepage or up in the little tab there that says community. And if you click on that, 
you'll get a you'll land on a new page that teaches you teaches you what <laughs> where you can learn about all the new things and all the things that are going on there and a button to join and that button to join now kicks you over to a short 10 minute or so little application form and the whole purpose of that form is so that we know that you are aligned roughly with the community values that we've put together over the last four years as we've built this community and we want to keep it as amazing as possible. So we're we're trying to add some new structure. We've got some new community guidelines. We've got a little bit of an application process. And we're just really, really excited for what's to come. So, yes, with yeah. the hope to keep continuing to grow the community and making it a safe and wonderful space for all of you. Yeah. And all of us. And all of us. Because we get out a lot out of it ourselves. And so thank you to everybody who's been a part of it for so long. Uh, some of the OGs out there. And yeah, we're, we're creeping up on 300 members and we cannot wait. So come be one of us. And thank you so much for the going through this process with us. For anyone who's joined the community in the past and joining now, we're just so grateful for each and every one of you. This would not exist without you. Yeah. And so we're not going to talk any more about what you get there other than one thing, which is uh, you get the premium uh, premium subscription included. So you don't have to like pay for this and then pay for that. And we're just milking you for money. We're not doing that. Uh, yes. Unless you want to buy a T-shirt. <laughs> then you can buy a T-shirt. But we'll, we'll milk you for your money on the T-shirts, but not on the premium subscription. <laughs> Go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com and click on the community tab and to join. And click on the button on the homepage to buy yourself a t-shirt. That's also available. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing we wanted to say up front is a huge, huge thank you to our favorite affiliate partner, stdcheck.com. Actually, this isn't the last thing I'm recognizing now. There's one more thing. <laughs> but stdcheck.com is the way that MNI get tested for STIs. We use the service. We absolutely love it. And based on all of the feedback we've gotten from you, you all love it as well. So if you're looking for a quick, easy, and affordable way to get tested for STIs on the regular, which you should be doing, yes. head over to our website, go to the resources tab or any one of the episode show notes, and there are links there. They will save you $10 bringing the cost of a 10 panel test down to $129 and you support the show financially and we love you for that. So thank you. So thank you. And last thing we promise, and then we'll get into the show. Our next virtual meet and greet is going to be on November 30th. That is a Wednesday. You can sign up for our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. And these are open to anyone. You just must be open-minded and respectful. We have a blast and we'd love for you to join us on the next one. Yeah. You don't have to be part of the Patreon community or have a t-shirt or have been to stdcheck.com. It's, no it's no longer the Patreon community. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I will sit in timeout for 20 minutes after we're done recording. You don't have to be part of the community. We're just going to relabel that as community. That's right. So we hope you all enjoy this fantastic episode with Taylor and Andrew. If you get the urge, you can send us an email or a voicemail over on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. We would love to hear from you, and we hope you enjoy. And now, let's go. Welcome to the podcast, Taylor and Andrew. Actually, special important note, this is the first podcast we're recording since moving to San Francisco. That is true. That's so, exciting. That's great. Congrats. You, you are, thank you. You are our firsts. So welcome. We've been here two days <laughs> and here we go. So we're dusting off a couple of cobwebs. We drove across the country and we'd love to, to learn a little more about you two and maybe just have you introduce yourselves to, to get us rolling. Okay. Um, well, I'm Taylor and 
my husband, Andrew, and we have been married for nine years. We've been together for 13. Yep. 13. 13. And we are actually pretty new to non-monogamy, polyamory, just since June. So about three months. Yep. Three months-ish. And honestly, I feel like we've had a pretty healthy approach to it. And I mean, I think that our marriage is better than ever now, which is insane to think, um, (laughs) given everything, but yeah. Yeah, I I would agree. I mean, uh, again, as Taylor mentioned, we are very new to it, uh, but we were pretty meticulous and pretty careful in how we went about it both in the conversations that led up to it and some other steps we took. And so, I mean, if, if there is a right or generally right way to do it, I mean, I think we have done some things right, but again, we are still pretty new to it. Yeah. 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 I would say like, if it feels good to you, that's the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. But that's my, that's my own two cents. There but, is no right way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, but it's each individual. Yeah. So, so over the last 13 years, what, did your relationship look like leading up to, let's say, June? Well, um, <laughs> gosh, that's a long ways back to think. Uh, you want me to start? Yeah, you start. <laughs> <laughs> so Taylor and I met up in undergrad. Uh, I was a sophomore. She was a freshman. So I really robbed the cradle there. And <laughs> we became friends very quickly. And then we started dating not too terribly long after that. And... Uh, I would say the rest is history, but that wouldn't make for a very interesting podcast. So um, both of us came from pretty conservative religious upbringings, households. Um, And so as you can imagine, I'm sure some other guests can imagine. I mean, there there wasn't really a a healthy series of conversations surrounding sex, not a very healthy sense of self-awareness was encouraged there growing up. So that certainly affected things into Uh, in our relationship, you know, within the first several years. And, you know, we were, we were nervous about even becoming sexually active as a couple, Mm -hmm. you know, even after a few years of dating. And so that was, uh, looking back, I would say painstakingly careful and meticulous on our part, (laughs) Uh, just really, really making, uh, making a big deal out of things that probably weren't, but that was just where we came from. That was the result of, Uh, both of our upbringings. And so, I mean, I would say, and Taylor, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think it was probably fairly clear, I'd say at least within a year or so of us being married, that we're probably not what people would call sexually compatible, you know, in terms of, uh, really just in terms of our libido. I mean, one of us does not have, have a soaring libido and the other does. And so mm-hmm. we, we became at least, uh, we became aware of that in at least some sense fairly early on. And we really did try very hard and try many things to try and mitigate that, to compensate for that. So I would say, and I'll, I'll have you pick up there yeah. if, if that's all right. Yeah, sure. I, I would say that's, that's probably sort of the bedrock of kind of where our relationship came from. I mean, everything was, has always been awesome. It's always been great. Um, we did, 
uh, spend, I would say within a year of us being married, we did start seeing a therapist for some other issues, uh, other issues that were unresolved. Uh, but that was a very, very good investment. We didn't... Other issues we didn't even realize we had. Right. We didn't really explore uh, our sex lives all that much in the, I would say, the better part of two years in, in therapy in that first go around. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And I, I think part of it was that we hadn't realized how so many other intrinsic factors um were influencing our sex life. I mean, it was like, okay, we started going to therapy because we wanted to improve that aspect. Turns out that's just the tip of the iceberg. And all of these other issues were actually contributing to our relationship as a whole. So we go through therapy off and on for a few years. Everything's awesome. Uh, eventually we relocated and by this point we'd been married eight, no, seven years ish, six or um, seven years, six we or seven years. Uh, shortly after we moved up here, we actually decided to start our family. Um, we've been married for a handful of years. We both had our careers settled and bought a house. We were like, okay, this is next on the checklist. So we, uh, started our family. We had our lovely little kiddo, um, our cantankerous little son, uh, back in 2020, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Super great. <laughs> Welcome <timing>. to the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the shit show. Um, so we had our son and then that's where our lives went. That's mm-hmm. literally what our focus was on nonstop, which, you know, it should have been. I mean, definitely. But fast forward a couple years and mom starts having a little bit of a self-identity crisis, realizing, okay, my kid is about to be two. And for the past two years, I have been doing nothing but devoting all of who I am to being a mom. And I have no idea who the hell I am anymore. Um, shit. Why am I getting emotional? Jesus. Um, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. It's totally fine. Yeah. Um, so, um, I just, I had no clue who I was and I knew a few things. I knew I'm not feeling sexually fulfilled. I'm not feeling fulfilled in my marriage. I'm starting to resent my husband and my son. And I just don't know who I am as a person at all. And so I decided I wanted to kind of re rededicate myself to myself. And so I told Andrew, I said, I and feeling really, really lost. I want to really focus on my mental health, my sexual health, my, all of those different facets that I wasn't feeling fulfilled in. So in my own therapy journey, my therapist and I were talking and trying to figure out, 
okay, what can we do to, you know, let's start with the mental health. Okay. Get that taken care of. Let's move on to sexual health. And that kind of brought me to the world of erotic audio, which I didn't even know existed, which I didn't even know was such a huge platform specifically for women, Mm -hmm. which was eye opening. And then that kind of opened my eyes to, okay, I in finding that I like stuff I had no clue I liked. And then also finding that I am feeling differently about monogamy and about my relationships than I even knew was a possibility. And then in that, that kind of got me, that kind of started the wheels turning a little bit, got me thinking about it. And that was when I started researching and looking into uh, non-monogamy podcast and Instagram pages and TikToks and things like that, just to kind of get a feel for, okay, what does this actually mean? What does this look like? And the more and more I was looking at it, it was like, okay, wait, these are just normal people. Like this is, this is just something that everybody's doing apparently just nobody's talking about. So I think that was kind of the catalyst for us having the conversation. And I think part of it too, for me was I'm a nurse. And so I've seen people at every stage of their life. And when I was kind of thinking about this whole polyamory, non-monogamy thing, one thing that stuck out in my head was, okay, old people on their deathbeds. This is going to get really morbid for a second. Um, (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Old people on their deathbeds always say, number one thing, they wish they would have started living sooner. They wish that they would have not waited to live. My twisted nurse brain realizes, wait a second, the highest rates of STDs are in nursing homes. So I'm putting two and two together, (laughs) realizing, okay, so old people are already aware of this. They're already living their best life. Why should I be waiting until I'm in a nursing home, not knowing who my husband is and slamming around five different dudes? Like I, (laughs) that's a really crass way of putting it, but yeah. (laughs) Like, we got to have aspirations. So I love it. I exactly. Love it. <laughs> um, so that was kind of something that I got to thinking about in terms of, you know, rationalizing, I guess. And so we started having the conversation. I said, I'm feeling like this might be something worth looking into and, here's why. And, um, we both started doing our research. We both agreed. Okay. Hands down. We have no idea what the hell we're doing. So we're going to need some help. And so that kind of circle back, we knew therapy had worked for us before. So we immediately started looking at trying to find a therapist who specialized in non-traditional relationships. And we found somebody amazing. Um, 
her name is Erin Phillips. We told her we would name drop her because she was so excited that we were coming on. <laughs> she was like, oh, I want to be mentioned. Tell them like I'm LGBTQ friendly and all that crap. And I'm just like, okay, Erin, you're nuts, but all right. Um, yes. And just a side note, if you want to send us her website, we'll put it in the show notes. Oh, Absolutely. wonderful. Yeah. She would love that. Sure. Yeah. But she really helped us with just from the get-go kind of realizing, okay, why are we looking into this and how can we do this successfully? Because everything that we had seen research-wise and everything we were reading said, this can either be done really, really well and really be beneficial to your marriage, or it could be done really, really poorly. And we've kind of already established there's no one right way to do it, obviously. And we're not saying this is how everyone should go about doing it, but we've been doing this for a few months now. It seems to be working really well for us. So here we are. <laughs> I love it. I, and thank you for all of that background. Best and- intro we've ever had on the show. <laughs> so thank wow. you for that. No, that was amazing. I mean, I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I love your transparency too in, yeah. in the like, it's very relatable. It's life. It's things that happen. And mm-hmm. so thank you for sharing all of that. And, you know, so you said about three months ago, did you, did you just start with Aaron with their in therapy just a few, just three months ago then, or was, has it been a little longer than that? No, we had just started seeing her a few months ago. We had kind of decided between the two of us that we were okay starting to talk to other people. But we agreed we weren't going to start seeing anybody until after we had seen her. I see. And we that was just kind of an established thing. We said, okay, we don't know what we're doing. So let's get her, see if there's some kind of template that we can follow for how to navigate this. I think mm-hmm. the first time we actually saw her, I specifically asked her if there was like a worksheet we could fill out or something. <laughs> figuring this out. Um, If there were, that'd be super handy, I'm sure. Yeah, trademark. Yeah, right, right. Um, (laughs) Well, and Taylor's always been, you know, and this is 100% true, Taylor's always been more courageous and more creative than I think I have been. And so she definitely initiated the discussion. I probably wouldn't have only because I, I mean, several years ago, I had a friend from college who had tried polyamory and I didn't completely know why it didn't work out well for them, but it didn't. And it was very public and very difficult for them. And so just with that one anecdotal example in mind, I might not, not have even seriously considered ENM, but again, Taylor is more courageous and more creative than me. And so she initiated the discussion I think what made me more willing to consider it is as we discussed it, it became pretty clear that, you know, this, this could make certainly one, if not both of us much more happy uh, in that sort of fundamental dimension of our lives and of our relationship. And so that, that has really carried us through some more difficult early experiences, knowing that this makes each other, this arrangement makes each other happier. And again, as, as we've well established, there are many right ways of going about this certainly, but I think if, if the decision to adopt 
an ENM sort of dynamic in your relationship. If it's as long as it's rooted in your earnest desire for the happiness of your partner, you you really you may not be able to screw that up. Yeah, yeah, I love that, and I would just. I like Emma said, like appreciating the vulnerability and the transparency. I think when I said best intro ever, like you answered about 15 questions I had and you would start talking like, <laughs> Oh, I've got a question. And then you would answer it. So you made it amazingly easy to do that intro for us. So thank you. Um, I did have a couple of questions to circle back mm-hmm. and then maybe we can come back, back to where we are. You, you alluded to the fact that it was almost possibly a few years before you two did anything sexual together you don't have to go into super graphic details but i think there's definitely somebody listening who is in a similar boat or maybe is currently in that four-year gap of like afraid to do something and we get emails from these people and so we know that they're out there so if, if you could talk a little bit about like that journey and then like i don't know how you kind of came came out of it because the the super strong religious background is also, I have this theory that if you want your kids to end up non-monogamous, you push them into religion. And that's, <laughs> that's my own opinion, but it seems but we very, have a lot of, I think we have a lot of evidence. <laughs> so. I think you're onto it something. Holds, it holds up. Yeah. <laughs> I really think you're onto something. Uh, I mean, me, uh, just for context, you know, for anybody that's listening who may be in a similar situation, uh, my fam, my father was a Southern Baptist pastor, and uh, we were like very conservative Southern Baptists growing up, and to the point where, and this is not an exaggeration, the word "sex" was actually a bad word in our home. It, it was a word you did not say out loud, and so my first authentic encounter with anything, any topic under the umbrella of sex and certainly intercourse and, you know, everything related was when I was about 13 or 14, we went through a course that I can't recall which uh, organization created the program and sponsors it, but something called the true love weights program. Does that ring a bell? It, it sounds like something I don't want any part of, but I'm, I'm, I, I, I can see where it's going and yeah, I get it. Yeah. yeah. And so in a nutshell, and you know, this is not something that'll be stated in any of the course materials, but this is, this is the idea in a nutshell that uh, you're taught that at some point between adolescence and a monogamous heterosexual marriage, that Satan is going to try and destroy you by way of your innate sexual impulses. And so, whereas that, that time period and, you know, feeling and coming to grips with those impulses is already terrifying and disorienting enough for a teenager. If you think the the devil equals sex and sex urges, uh, that, that certainly doesn't help. And so, uh, that, that led to some very destructive behaviors for me. And I, I maybe should have mentioned this earlier on. I mean, one of one thing uh, I am getting out of our adopting the ENM dynamic under our relationship, the fact that I do have and have had a kind of odd sexual fetish, I've been consciously aware of it since I was maybe five or six, so very, very young. Uh, it's actually fairly common. It's completely harmless. But again, when you're raised to think of sex uh, in that context, 
you know, in, in such a rigid context. And I don't think this is true of all religious upbringing, certainly, but in, in mine, there really isn't a lot of room for any sort of sexual diversity there outside, again, of a monogamous heterosexual marriage. So when uh, we were talking about seeing a therapist for the first time, you know, early on in our marriage, we did have obviously some couple sessions, but also some individual sessions uh, to really dive in on some of those topics that maybe at the time we weren't so comfortable, uh, Taylor and I weren't so comfortable talking to each other about even. And that's when that's when I really had to had to confront the destructive nature of my upbringing uh, from a sexual standpoint and, and otherwise. And it was the first time a not an authority figure, but certainly certainly someone I respected uh, in, in that context. It was, it was the first time I'd heard someone say out loud that the things I was taught as a child were wrong, were evil even, and that it was time to completely reconsider everything I thought and felt about that dimension right. of life. So, which, which is super easy to do after, yeah, just, just after being yeah. just driven into your brain for however many years, right? Like, good Lord. Yeah. It's just a flip of the switch, right? Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. But that was, that was a really helpful process for me, but. Um, so mine wasn't, my upbringing wasn't as structured, I guess, as that, but it was still very religious, very conservative, very having to see that a unhealthy relationship is just something that is there and just something that you have to live with. And so I think for me, it was the combination of the, uh, religious upbringing, the conservative upbringing, and also growing up in a very small town where you're not exposed to anything outside of what is quote unquote normal, which being heterosexual monogamous relationships and sex, not until you're married and that whole jazz, but also seeing, you know, in my own parents and you know, uh, Andrew's parents as well, not having the most healthy relationship demonstrated, but you know, your parents were divorced. Mine are still together, but it's not a healthy relationship. And you are kind of having to bear witness to nonstop exposure of, okay, she's not happy, but that's just how it is. And you just kind of have to live with that. And I think for both of us, when we first went to therapy, that first go around, part of it was because we looked at each other and we said, okay, we give a damn about this, that we, what we have, we obviously want to work on it before it gets to a point where we realize how unhappy we are. And that's just kind of always been the base of our relationship, I think, is that it keeps coming back to, you know, I really like this dude, so I kind of want to make this work. Let's do what we can to fix things right now. Yeah, it's the proactive approach. Yeah, like, let's not wait until things get bad to 
you know, get to something that fixes it. Right. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah, I, I neglected to mention that. I mean, my parents were married for 24 years. That should not have happened. It's difficult for me to say they should have never gotten married because obviously I wouldn't exist right now if they didn't, but uh, they deeply resented each other and it was, it was palpable. We, we grew up in a, a sea of conflict basically. Um, and it was, it was, it was pretty obvious to, to anyone who spent any amount of time around our family. And so, yeah, that was something we certainly explored uh, right out of the gate in therapy, how, you know, neither of us realized uh, both in sexual terms and, and other terms too, neither of us realized just what a profound impact, uh, just the things we had witnessed, the examples of relationships, certainly not healthy relationships, but how the examples of relationships we had grown up around were affecting us, uh, even if just on a subconscious level. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate all of that. And like diving into it a little bit more for, for the context of it. And I think it, and it maybe almost informs sort of another question I kind of had, which is, Taylor, when you when you decide to bring this up to Andrew, like, first of all, I imagine that's a super scary thing to do, knowing all of the history. And on Andrew, on your side, like, I imagine when you first heard this, right? And I, I don't know if she came to you and said, well, I'm unhappy in our relationship and sexually and all these things. But like, if that's what you're reading from it, like, that's a lot to take in. And it's super scary. Like, how how did those initial conversations go for both of you? Um, it was definitely kind of a slow burn for lack of a better word. You know, I had mentioned that back in probably May, it was right around mother's day actually, because mother's day equals mom midlife crisis. Um, <laughs> easy to remember, I suppose. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I don't think Hallmark has a card for that yet, but Shame. yeah. Um, now they will. Now oh, they we will. will. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, but I've been very fortunate in that Andrew is a very supportive partner in everything in terms of my happiness. I had realized a few years ago that I didn't necessarily identify as 100% straight. Like I thought I was. I didn't know necessarily if I was bisexual, pansexual, whatever, but we had had that conversation and that was another thing that kind of supported this conversation of, okay, let's create kind of a avenue for me to explore these things more in a healthy way. So that way I can fully feel fulfilled. So when that was part of the conversation and when I came to him and just said, I feel like this is a part of me that I haven't explored immediately. It was okay. Well, what can we do to try to address this? What can we do to try to not fix this for lack of a better word, but just make it so that I'm happier. So, um, yeah, it was scary, but I think I'm very lucky in the sense that I kind of knew if he loved me like I knew he did, that he wasn't going to be mad. He would be curious. 
Yeah, and when Taylor first uh, just plainly raised the topic or the idea of us exploring ENM or polyamory, it really wasn't. And to hear her say she was not fulfilled in terms of our sex life, it honestly wasn't a huge shock to me uh, because I knew this. We we had been aware for at least several years that, again, we just were not that sexually compatible on a fundamental level, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing for couples and certainly not something that can't be overcome. I think it's far more common than people think as well. Yeah, for sure. Because again, it's again, given, you know, what we've discussed about, you know, where we came from in terms of our upbringing, that's just something you don't think to discuss early on in a relationship. You should probably, but that's something that certainly wouldn't have occurred to us. But I, I, but not, uh, but not if, but not if sex is such a, like, almost a a utilitarian thing. Like you do the sex for the babies. And so it doesn't really matter if you're compatible or not, because that's, you're not just doing it for fun. Right. Right. And And I think even building on top of that, the idea of it being pleasurable, you know, it's completely just like you said, 100% function and having the exposure to, okay, as a woman, I just have to be unhappy at his, you know, whatever is going to work best for Andrew. And in every aspect of my life, including sex. And that's just not true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I would, I would venture to guess on the flip side, it's, and I think this is what, what people don't recognize is two people make a sacrifice when there's a mismatch. One person saying, I guess I don't get it enough. And the other person's kind of saying, I guess I have to do it more. And you're trying to then meet in the middle and neither person is really getting what they actually want out of it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. Cause yeah, like, like I said, it, it really didn't come as a surprise uh, when we started having those very frank conversations because I knew Taylor wasn't fulfilled uh, in our sex life. And frankly, I wasn't either just because I felt for a long time, I felt pretty inadequate because it was it was pretty clear that in order to uh, in, in order to start approaching a, a sex life that would that would leave Taylor fulfilled and me fulfilled, you know, I I would simply have to go to lengths and extents that I wasn't comfortable with or didn't feel natural to me or was, you know, kind of a complete turnoff at the same time. And so I felt in that sense, I felt inadequate for quite a while in that I knew pretty, pretty consciously that I was not, uh, and my contributions to our sexual relationship were not fulfilling. Well, and I think that was another conversation we had to have was realizing it's not you, it's me, genuinely. And it's just, it, it literally wasn't anything that he was or wasn't doing. It's just for somebody who's on so many antidepressants, I have a very high sex drive. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, you know, it's, that's just how it's always been in our relationship. And you kind of have to, I think, separate out the, sex part of it in terms of our relationship 
to each other. Like I, I, I've had so many conversations with people who have said, okay, well, you and her husband are not sexually compatible. So why are you guys married? It's like, well, that's a completely very, very minor part of our relationship altogether. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, partners, teammates, everything, best friends, parents, parents. And just because we're not sexually compatible, it's like, okay, well, that's a very minor blip in the whole span of our relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's, it's an oversimplification, but like if one of you likes Mexican food and one of you doesn't, is that like, okay, well, I'll go eat Mexican food with somebody who enjoys going to the Mexican restaurant with me. Like that's our relationship isn't built on this one thing, right? We actually used uh, chicken tenders as an analogy. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Chicken who doesn't like, hold on, who doesn't like chicken tenders? Exactly. I know, exactly. right? Chicken tenders are a universal, like, net good for Vegetarians humanity. Vegetarians just sign off right now. <laughs> yeah. Chicken tenders Unless are you're a universal a vegan. net good for humanity, but if you're eating chicken tenders every meal of every day, eventually they're gonna not taste so great. And that goes for, that even goes for a nice uh, Kansas City strip, too. Yeah. If it's every meal of every day, it's suddenly not going to taste all that great. And, you know, and, and little analogies, you know, food analogies or food metaphors like that, they, they started making quite a bit more sense when, you know, again, after Taylor initiated the E&M conversation, uh, I mean, again, as we've stated, what, what made me willing to perfectly willing to at least consider it was the fact that, you know, there, there's nothing literally nothing I wouldn't do if I thought it would make Taylor happy, uh, even for five minutes, you know? And mm-hmm. so after just considering ENM, you know, compared to, again, the sort of uh, social construct that, that is monogamy and monogamous relationships at the end of the day, you know, it, it, it was sort of like those early experiences in therapy having, having the ideology I was brought up with just sort of spelled out and put right in front of my face to the point where I could critique it pretty easily and interrogate it pretty easily. And so again, with the chicken tenders, uh, analogy, you know, it, it became clear that to, to a certain extent, monogamy does not make a ton of sense. Uh, it, it really does not make a ton of sense. It's, um, like I said, the old people have it figured out. Like, <laughs> you know what's up. Well, I think that's an interesting piece because we, we and, and I, this was another question I had, and I'm sorry, I'm hogging all the questions, Emma, but. I'll jump in in a minute. Yeah. But, so we, we have a, a close friend who is basically a, a hospice nurse, and she lives in this sort of intense environment where almost daily she's watching people die or helping them die in a lot of ways. And she has a very, like, live life with everything you have mentality. And her partner doesn't go to work in that environment. So it's it's a lot more chill. And there's a bit of a, a disparity there. And so I can see how when you show up every day living in that mentality, but your partner doesn't have those same experiences, like, that urge to live maybe doesn't get drummed up in, in Andrew the same way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that's 100% accurate. And 
yeah, I mean, you see those things all the time and it does just kind of light a fire under your ass of, okay, I'm not happy. Do I want to wait until I'm, you know, old, decrepit and finally decide to start giving a damn to try to make myself happy? Right. Exactly. I mean, it, it was one of those things, you know, when, when we first reached out, uh, we reached out to our first therapist. That was, you know, what sort of, I know that's what drove me. I think that's what drove us is, you know, again, coming from the home situation that we did, knowing that whatever happened, we, we didn't want to just draw it out needlessly and suffer needlessly that if there was a way to functionally address the issues that we were going to do it. We were going to try it. And, mm -hmm. uh, but it's, again, it's one of those things that uh, given the prevalence of monogamy and how firm of a social construct it is, I think in just, just our the popular imagination, uh, I certainly wouldn't have even considered ENM and polyamory as an option, but. Well, when, like I said, I didn't even realize how normal of a thing this is. Like you start, it's, it's so crazy. It's one of those kind of like best kept secret type of things. And I mean, the more and more we started researching it and looking at actual couples, especially, you know, thanks to social media and things like that, it was like, okay, I mean, these people are really happy. This is working for them and they're saying it improved their life. I mean, what have we got to lose? Yeah. Did you have more? I've got lots of oh. questions. This is amazing. And I'm, I'm just like overflowing with them, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to share. I feel like we keep drifting away from your questions. So I'm very sorry about that. We talk, we talk no, a lot. It's, it's, no, it's, it's good. perfect. It's, 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 this has been an amazingly powerful conversation. I'm, I'm, well, I'm sitting here. Our questions blown. are, our questions are a guideline. You can take them however you want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So, Be careful what you yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm curious, where are you two at right now in your explorations? Yeah. So um Andrew has a uh person that he's been talking to. You haven't really explored much in person at all or anything like that. At this point, outside of phone calls, you know, and, and this is someone that shares, again, that sort of off the wall uh, fetish of mine. So, I mean, they, they live clear across the country. So meeting up in person may, may not be the most practical thing right now, but we uh, we chat on Skype and we take phone calls maybe every other week. And that's been really fun and really liberating, honestly. I know it's it's not what it's not the type of uh, sexual exploration that everybody would find exciting, but for me, it really has been enjoyable and you know, we'll see where it leads from there. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, and I, so I, since I was the one who brought up the conversation at first, I think I was a little more eager to, okay, got to go meet all of the people. And so I had gone on a few dates and one of them, we went out just thinking, okay, yeah, we're clicking, you know, on 
text or whatever. We're, we've got a lot of the same interest. Most of our conversations were revolving around star Wars. And so, okay, solid. Like, um, and so we ended up meeting up and actually started dating very soon after that date. And now I'm in a full on relationship with this other person and it escalated very quickly over the course of about a month, actually. Um, it escalated very quickly into something that neither me or this other person were anticipating it escalating into, which was full on, you know, love and an, an actual relationship which I don't think I got into this looking for by any means, but it just clicked. It worked. And now me and this other guy are really, really happy. And he's actually met Andrew and I've made it very intentional. Like I want, I want this to be more, I guess the term is kitchen table, Polly essentially. And they're both comfortable around each other. And I mean, when we had COVID a few weeks ago, he even brought over like a little, you know, basket of soup and crackers and Pedialyte and all that kind of stuff for us. And so it's really beautiful. And honestly, I mean, Andrew and I are communicating better than we ever have. Like when I say our marriage is better than it's ever been, I'm, dead serious because I think for the first time we're inadvertently being forced to communicate about everything and having to be transparent about everything, which is scary as hell, but it's also very, (laughs) I, I think it was necessary. I think we needed that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, first of all, Yes, the other guy in this in this relationship now. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't have many requirements for other guys other than they treat you right and they make you happy. Mm-hmm. This person meets both those criteria in spades, and so. Uh, but like Taylor mentioned, we've we've all sat down, we've had some drinks, we've gotten to know each other uh, a little bit, which I think is, from a practical standpoint, you know, I thought would just be helpful if, you know, certainly if they wanted to make their relationship something more long-term, something more consistent, you know, and when I say from a practical standpoint, I mean, you know, if, if I should need to get a hold of him, if they're together, um, I, I just wanted, and by the same token, I wanted him to feel comfortable reaching out to me, you know, asking me, uh, and I not think even my rationale was like, okay, if I ever end up in the ER for some random accident that I'm in because I'm so accident prone, I want them to be able to communicate with each other and, both be there for me and right and and, and, and even then even outside of an emergency you know i want i want this person to feel comfortable reaching out to me if if he wants to know taylor's favorite flavor of hard seltzer or uh favorite types of movies to go to that sort of thing so um i think that that openness was helpful uh, right up front. But again, what, what, even though this is unfamiliar territory for us, obviously what, 
sort of kept me invested in it right away was seeing uh, not only the chemistry between Taylor and uh, this other person, but just seeing how happy it made Taylor. And that makes me happy that I can get on board with every day of the week and twice on Sunday. So, um, yeah. Well, and I, I would, I would, I guess I'm curious too, like besides the fulfillment you get from, well, let's just use the word compersion, right? The compersion you get from seeing Taylor happy. It also sounds like you found for the first time in your life, uh, a potential partner who shares an interest, your, 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 your fetish, your sexual interest that, that perhaps hasn't really been up, up Taylor's alley. And now you're also kind of getting something that works for you or maybe opens up that opportunity that maybe hasn't been there in the past. I think that's absolutely true. And by the same token, I mean, seeing him be able to be more fulfilled by having these conversations that he's just not naturally comfortable having with me. It's very rewarding for me, but it's also opened up. It's opened up doors to have more conversations about it saying, okay, you are comfortable having these conversations with this other person about this. And just the other day, I, had to come to him and say, okay, I'm feeling like you talk to this other person more than you talk to me. And you've never really explained to me what exactly this fetish is. You've only said what it is and your background on it, but I have no idea what it is. And no offense, I'm a little too scared to go exploring the internet for research on So, um, that's perfectly fair. And so (laughs) I needed like those questions answered and because he's been able to have these other conversations and been able to be more open about it with somebody else. Now I think I feel more comfortable with trying to get more insight on it. Not necessarily for the, like I, I don't want to necessarily assist in that avenue um, because I think we've discussed that that just isn't necessarily something that I'm super comfortable with, which is fine. I mean, sex is supposed to be comfortable, consenting, blah, blah, blah. But just because I am literally sitting here like, okay, I have no idea what, what this is. Now... I feel comfortable asking you more of those kind of questions. Right. And it was, it's true. It was, and it has been, it is uh, extremely liberating for me. I think, I think I had, I, I wasn't completely aware of just still my own uh, fears and anxieties surrounding this fetish. Again, it was something that I've been acutely aware of since I was very, very young, five or six. And it's something that for most of my life on balance, I've been profoundly ashamed of and terrified of, you know? And so I think, I think I'd sort of buried that, you know, after uh, exploring it 
in a peripheral sense and therapy was helpful, but we didn't really dive into it all that much and certainly not discuss uh, ways it could come to bear on our marriage, our sex life and our relationship. So yes, it has been extremely liberating to talk to somebody else who shares uh, those those impulses and those feelings, but also, I mean, as, as Taylor indicated, what's been just as, if not more refreshing and liberating is the fact that suddenly I feel empowered to be more transparent than I've ever been in that regard. Um, it's something, you know, we, we were transparent about pretty much everything in our lives, except, except that dimension. And so uh, exploring ENM, polyamory, it's it's really, as Taylor said, it's, it's opened the door to whole new levels of transparency that we really didn't, perhaps didn't know we needed as a couple, mm-hmm. certainly that I didn't know I needed as an individual. But uh, yes, being able to openly share that side of myself with another person that feels the same way feels incredible. It feels extremely liberating. But again, the, the transparency surrounding that and that broader dimension of our lives is just as if not more liberating. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like the validation that you got from this other person and gave you the courage to be able to speak more about it too. And the, you know, all of this has been, you know, forced vulnerability for the two of you, because you, you, you have to, you have to talk about all of these different things to, to get through this and to do this, have this change in your relationship. Yeah. I mean, right off the bat, our first session with Erin, our current therapist, I mean, she straight up said, the only way that this is going to work is if you guys are 100% transparent, transparent with each other, transparent with anybody else that's involved, any other potential partners, anything like that. That is the only way that this can work. And it's true. I mean, you really are forced to be so open and vulnerable. Um, And yeah, again, it's scary as hell, but it's so worth it, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, again, providing some fundamental elements are there. Um, certainly again, as, as Aaron, as our therapist said, you know, a hundred percent transparency, not 99%, a hundred percent transparency surrounding anything and everything, which I mean, would, would probably be a great ethic anyway, outside of ENM and polyamory, uh, that that's probably a pretty healthy ethic and dynamic anyway. But again, also just really examining why, why us or anybody else would want to pursue this, this dynamic. Uh, but as long as it's, as long as it's grounded in your desire for your primary partner's happiness, then that's, that's a pretty good place to start as well. And, and also maybe not even necessarily thinking of polyamory as a solution to any problem or set of problems in a relationship. You know, if, if, if we were thinking of it as, as a solution to problems, we'd expect every part of it to be sort of a net good, a net positive, uh, without a whole lot of attention from us and a whole lot of, you know, uh, care from us, but it's not a solution. It's an enhancement really. And, uh, you know, enhancements can, 
go right uh, or they can go very, very wrong. You know, you can you can think you're riding around in a Sherman tank when in fact it's uh, a radio flyer wagon. And if you put a rocket launcher on that radio flyer wagon, the neighborhood's going to have questions at the very least. And so, you know, it's it's more of an enhancement than a solution, probably. Well, and I think yeah. for us too, one, one thing that just kind of came to mind was in terms of it making us happy, it wasn't just a goal for us. We wanted to demonstrate us being happy and having a healthy relationship for our son because we didn't have that. Absolutely. And, you know, demonstrating to him like that it's important to be happy yourself because you can't make somebody else happy if you're not happy. And, you know, I, I think that that's definitely been seen in terms of, you know, I'm definitely happier now. Andrew's definitely happier now. And obviously that's going to have some kind of a positive effect on what we're showing our son as here's an example of an actual healthy relationship. It's not perfect. It's not, you know, traditional by any means, but we're both happy and that's all we can do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's certainly another thing that brings, brings me joy and brings me happiness and all this certainly brings us happiness and all this is knowing that, you know, providing we, we keep up the work, you know, we maintain that 100% transparency and we may, we remain committed to, you know, those, those fundamental aspects of all of this that as time goes by, yeah, just like Taylor said, we'll be able to model uh, a much healthier relationship for our son than the relationships that we grew up with as models. And, and I don't think we mean like necessarily, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, I don't think we necessarily mean showing him like, Hey, you have to see multiple people in order to be happy. No, I, I mean, if you want to, sure, whatever, but more so actually communicating between mm-hmm. the two people, like, instead of just pushing all of your problems down, which is what we were shown growing up, I want him to see that open communication, that open transparency, having those conversations to better enhance your relationship, yourself and the other person, that that's really what's necessary in a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. And, and that commitment to yourself and commitment to your partner is far more important than commitment to any set of ideologies, any social construct, uh, and to really, really be critical about, you know, the ideas that you're absorbing surrounding relationships, surrounding sex, uh, to really critically examine those. And then from there, determine, you know, again, out of that commitment to the self just as much from there, determine you know, or ask yourself, what, what makes me happy? What do I want? Uh, what do I want for my partner or my eventual partner or partners for heaven's sakes? You know, not again, not that we're going to compel our, our child into polyamory. Uh, I guess, I guess we could make this like a monastery or something, but, <laughs> <laughs> but again, that's, that's a rocket launcher on the radio flyer thing. The neighborhood's going to have questions, but you know, but again, certainly, certainly modeling a different and uh, 
certainly healthier ethic. I, I don't think that's too uh, ahead of the game to say modeling a healthier ethic and uh, ho- hopefully getting him started off in, in a place better than what we started off in. I, I don't know if you can ask for much better as, as parents, perhaps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I just to, to play on your, your tank and, and radio flyer analogy, I feel like the, the work that you two did or are continuing to do in, in individual therapy and in your joint therapy lets you roll up on a tank, not the, not the wagon. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that that makes a huge difference because like, yeah, you don't know what you don't know until like you're in the weeds and, and you two went and laid the foundation before you ever even went down that path together. And I think that that's probably speaking volumes for how you two have been able to show up and support one another and do this with probably still some jealousy and still some tough feelings. And like, like you talked about Taylor, like, Hey, you're talking to this person more about this thing than I am, but you were able to have that conversation and it wasn't, it wasn't like off the, off the rails, like blow well, up. Yeah. I think right. it's like important to recognize that those feelings are like, we're all going to have feelings. Feelings mm-hmm. come up, jealousy comes up, other feelings come up and it's how you manage and navigate through those. That yeah. is what matters. Yeah. Well, and we've even seen in other relationships that we've seen other poly individuals have, you know, where they just decided, okay, we're going to start seeing other people and go. And no, no prep work for lack of a better word. I mean, I feel like we pretty thoroughly did research before diving into this to kind of lay the base work for us of, is this something that we want to explore? You know, gathering all of the facts, gathering all of the information, as opposed to just, okay, well, I'm not happy. So I'm going to go start boning other dudes. Like that's, that's not going to work. And it doesn't really give you that. I mean, kind of circling back, it doesn't give you the outlook to see, okay, this is not just something for me. This is something that's going to make the more most important person in my life happy as well. Right. And I, I completely agree with you all's point that, you know, the fact that we had had quite a bit of experience in therapy leading up to this, this was something uh, Taylor and I were discussing the other night, actually, you know, if, if we hadn't been through those couple of years of therapy, you know, it really deconstructing the environments and the examples we were brought up with, you know, where would we be today and where would we be today, you know, plus polyamory plus enm plus a kid plus a kid i mean certainly it wouldn't look very pretty but uh you know without getting those things in order and without establishing that sort of toolkit for communicating with each other you know and and certainly it's something and i think any couple knows this certainly something we still have to work at all the time and something we have to check ourselves on all the time it's uh, but had we not been through those experiences and then tried to incorporate ENM into our relationship, it would not have been good. It would not have been good at all uh, because you're absolutely right that, 
you know, regardless of how careful and how meticulous you are leading up to the decision to adopt ENM, there's going to be jealousies. There's going to be conflicts that come up. And, you know, if, you know, certainly a couple wouldn't have to go through two years of therapy ahead of it to, to prep for something like this, but certainly making sure you have a healthy mode of communicating with each other that you feel comfortable communicating those things with each other uh, is certainly helpful. And so, you know, well, it, one thing I want to point out, I don't want it because I feel like how you're coming across right now. Um, I don't want it to seem like we're saying that if you don't do the prep work, if you don't lay this groundwork that you're going to fail. Definitely. Definitely not. That's not, that's not it at all. I mean, we've established, there's multiple ways of doing quote unquote, the right thing. Um, yeah, this is just the way that's worked for you. This just worked for us. We're both, let me rephrase that. I'm very much a prepper in terms of that kind of thing. And I needed to do my research. I needed to do my work to figure out, okay, is this going to work? Is this going to be a potential added to our additive to our relationship that is going to make us better. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that because actually that was something I was going to jump in and, and say, which is um, the, the way that you two did it is allows you to show up on the tank rather than the, the wagon. But I, I think for anybody who's listening, that maybe is like, well, we were thinking about getting into this, but now we can't because we need to go and do a couple of years. Like it worked for you. And I think it's a fantastic approach. I just, I wanted to offer the counterpoint and this to your point of like, there is no right way. There are, there are probably some wrong ways, but there is no right way. But um, back on episode 245, one of another fantastic conversation we had with, with Caitlin and Julian and links will be in the show notes to this episode. They literally, he brought home the ethical slot, like he saw Dossie Easton speak at school, brought home the book, they read it and they literally like closed the book and were like, well, I guess we're Polly now. And they like, they just turned it on one day and that was almost a decade ago. And has there been a lot of hard bumps along the way? Oh yeah, but they're still doing it and they're still working through it. And it's, it's a beautiful journey. And so, well, and I just want to just chime in really quick and say like, also, another flip side, we've heard people research and research and research and research for years yeah. and years and years before ever taking a step in, which yeah. is another approach. So, so yeah, I, I think it's just amazing to hear how you two have done it and how that contrasts with other how other people have done it. And just like you said, there is no right way. Like we're, we're just doing what works best for us. And your situation is your situation, and it's it's a beautiful story, and I'm I'm grateful that you came on and shared it with us. So thank well, you. Well, and I do want to say like thank you for sharing the whole like the piece around you know getting help, looking for help, reaching out to a therapist yeah. because that's such a you know there can be societal shame around that, and there definitely is not. Like there's no shame in in finding help, and uh, the you know you might take you a couple of tries to find the right person to help you, and you have to be patient with that process sometimes. But once you do, like to have that to have that guidance, have that outside perspective, and just a place that you can have 
these conversations with someone that, you know, understands and gets it and can help you is, is super powerful. So I think that's just a really important piece. I appreciate you sharing. Well, and I I think I'll, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, I mean, I think another thing that goes into going into therapy very, very quickly, you have to realize that you are not going to feel good (laughs) when you go to therapy. And I feel like the sign of a good therapist uh, I can't talk. The sign of a good therapist is somebody who will call you out on your BS and will point out, okay, hold on. You're saying this right now. And like, I'll never forget one of the most profound things. Like, in I think it was our second conversation with Aaron. I was feeling super guilty because I had slept with a dude after like on a first date, it was a terrible first date and then told the guy I didn't want to see him again. And I'm sitting there in therapy the next day with Andrew and Aaron, and I'm feeling awful about this. And she said, Taylor, why are you slut shaming yourself right now? And it's like, Oh my God, that's exactly what I'm doing. And it's like, I would have, I wouldn't have thought about it that way, but it's like, I, I needed somebody to point out like, no, you're, being a jerk to yourself right now, this is exactly what you're doing. Like, why, why are you slut shaming? You know, I wouldn't do that to anybody else. So why am I doing it to myself? Um, so really realizing, okay, I'm seeking out another person who is very likely going to put me in my place and it's not going to feel good. And you're going to be pissed off at that person for a while after they do call you out, but it's going to be 100% worth it. And you're going to realize eventually like, yeah, crap. She was right. Well, and (laughs) when it comes to finding a good therapist, if this is helpful to anyone listening. So uh, I believe we found Aaron through this tool. We certainly, Mm -hmm. yeah. So we found both of our therapists actually through the registry on psychology today uh, used to be a print publication. Now it's just online. But if, if someone just Googles psychology today, find a therapist, punch in your zip code, it'll give you a very detailed registry of almost every licensed therapist within a certain mileage radius. So figuring out exactly what you're needing, what you're looking for, that kind of yep, thing. It'll tell you uh, maybe even as much as you know what they charge or whether or not they're open to uh, sort of a sliding scale, but certainly the, the areas that they specialize in. So you can kind of uh, search for a specialist or a therapist that meets your specific needs. But that, that psychology today registry, I've recommended it to, tons of folks over the years. It could be a really helpful resource. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I just appreciate everything you two have brought to the conversation today. And I think one thing that I'm super excited about is, and I, I, I hope we get to talk again in a few months or a year and see where this journey has taken you to because I'm, I don't know. I'm just really touched by this conversation. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad we connected, I think on Instagram, right, Taylor? That's the, yeah. the Instagram brought us together. Yeah. Cause I had, I think I'd sent you guys a message about like, Hey, we're just kind of starting to look into this. And 
do you have any recommendations? Do you have any advice? And you guys were very insightful, very helpful. And um, even talking about, you know, the first time that I experienced rejection and, you know, how do I deal with that? And that kind of thing. And then fast forward a couple of months, I'm like, Hey, quick update on my life. Um, so everything is awesome. And <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Cause yeah, that first message was so like, funny how that happened. Yeah. The, the first <laughs> yeah. message was like, I just got rejected by this guy across the country. Why the hell am I crying? I don't even know <laughs> what the fuck is going on with me. And I'm like, so yeah. I, I love yeah. it. I love it. I love how the world brings us together. It, all, it happens yeah. to all of us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's crazy how it just kind of turns around like that. And yeah, you go through a, a roller coaster of emotion every single day. But I think just continuing to have that transparency with your partner and um, being open, that's really what is allowing us to continue to be successful in this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, thank you both again for the beautiful conversation and for your journey. And we're excited to hopefully get an update sometime. Yeah, of course. And And I I feel like we could probably talk for another two hours and probably. Oh, I know. There's there's so many more questions. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's all good. But is there is there anything that we haven't asked about or talked about that that both or either of you were just needing to get out there into the universe? And then we'll let you go so you can enjoy your evening together. I mean, I feel like we pretty much covered it. I think the biggest takeaway, just really, really putting your partner's happiness first and realizing, okay, this has nothing to do with the fact that I'm not doing my job, but I need to let this other person, you know, fulfill themselves. And like I said, I really like this dude. So I'm going to keep doing what I can to make him happy. That's reassuring. Yeah. Uh, 13 years. And I really like you. (laughs) I mean, certainly just over a few short months, it's been, uh, it's been a pretty exhilarating journey, but it's been an invigorating journey. And I know we're both excited to see where it goes from here. Uh, Excited to keep doing the work, honestly, but we so appreciate you all having us on and just giving us a chance to talk about it. This was awesome. And normalizing this whole thing for us. Yep. For doing what you do. Yeah. Of course. Well, thank you. Yes. I have, I have one thing to to, to pipe in about what, what Taylor said, which (laughs) you, you made the comment that about putting your partner's happiness first. And I just didn't want it to get lost on people that earlier in the conversation, you also said you can't make other people happy unless you've made yourself happy. Yeah. And that was one of the threads that you, you led off with, which was I wasn't happy and I needed to, to spend some time focusing on that in order to be able to then share that happiness with, with the rest of the people in my life, whether it's, whether it's Andrew or your son. Yeah. I think, And I I think that there's a very, I'm glad that you bring that up because I think that there's a very, there's a very blurred line there in terms of my happiness and my partner's happiness. And I feel like you almost have to look at them as separate type of things, separate, but also coexisting. 
because at the end of the day, I know what's going to make Andrew happy is seeing me happy. And so kind of having to look at it as two separate things in terms of my own happiness, but also I know that my own happiness is going to make him happy. So what's the phrase good for the gander, good for the goose, something like that. Yeah. It's a, it's, yeah. it's a dangerous conversation to start the, the interdependency versus codependency. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because, uh, <laughs> well, let's just say we're undoing a lot of codependency <laughs> on our own end and we're not innocent there. When you, when you talk about hating your therapist, I loved ours. Well, we're, we're in transition, but loved her. Also had some really good fights with her <laughs> to the point where she's like, I don't know how to talk to you about this anymore. And I'm like, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I know that feeling well. So, yeah, it was a, a wonderful way to wrap it up and just a ton of gratitude to both of you. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you. Thank you. And we're back. A huge thank you to Taylor and Andrew for your vulnerability and sharing everything that you did. We loved talking to both of you and are excited to get this story out there. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. A couple of quick notes on this. They mentioned a few resources, their therapist and some ways to find other therapists. We have links in the show notes to those, plus some additional resources, one that we are familiar with and have used in the past, which is Therapy Den, which is another great way that you can find therapists that are open to non-monogamy and a whole bazillion other uh, options for filtering. So definitely go check those out. Again, the website is normalizingnonmonogamy.com or you can just click on the direct link in your podcast player. Yep. Yep. That's true. That is true. (laughs) Before we let you go, a couple of quick reminders. First up, our next virtual meet and greet is November 30th. That's a Wednesday. You can sign up on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. And these are open to anyone. You just must be respectful and open-minded. And while you're there, you're going to want to grab a sweatshirt because it's getting chilly out unless you're on the Southern Hemisphere. And then you're going to want to get one of those tank tops or racer bags. True. Mm -hmm. But you might want to pick up your sweatshirt because it's going to get cold again. (laughs) They're pretty cool, though. They say give love with our logo. So go check them out. And next week, we've got a fantastic conversation, interview, whatever you want to call it. We weren't going to let you down. No, of course. There's another one. With Ariel. It's fantastic. We're going all the way to Hawaii. And Woo-hoo! I reckon it's beautiful there pretty much all the time. So <laughs> We uh, didn't actually get to go to Hawaii. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Someday. Someday. If we get another 75,000 community members, we'll be able to fly, <laughs> we'll be able to, fly to Hawaii for our interviews. Yeah. How, how amazing would that be? Yeah. So go sign up. Anyway... <laughs> We will see everybody next week for that. And until then, we hope you have a fantastic rest of your week and weekend. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. You cut me off. I did. But it's perfect. (laughs) 